ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hard in the Paint. And it is my pleasure to welcome a friend, a colleague, and um, we finally got to see each other face to face in Las Vegas at uh, this year's uh, National Association for Black Journalists Convention. Um, you know him as Scoop B. I know him as Brandon Robinson. Scoop, welcome to the show, man. Brother, thank you. You 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 are the plug, and we'll leave it just like that. <laughs> man, I, I had a a great time in Vegas. Um, it had been my my first one in a while, obviously because of the pandemic. Um, for, get together as a as a family of journalists, um, and but the great time I had was not really in the party. You know, like I, I mean, I enjoyed myself, but the the best thing for me was NABJ for me is always reaffirming in that I see you know it, it reinforces my purpose, it reinfor- reinforces what I'm trying to do, and it puts me around that energy, that collective energy of not feeling alone in this because so often we walk into the room and it's just us is you're the only one and people don't necessarily understand the struggle that it is to be the only one um but in that room in those rooms in those spaces to have your colleagues and all of us going through the same struggle in different ways um it's it's, it's such a positive it's such an uplift and and particularly with our sports task force there's there's so much connectivity there and like you know you you work with one of our good friends, Kelsey, Nicole Nelson, and y'all do NBA reports um, during the regular season and then playoffs and things. And it just to see Kelsey, that was the first time she and I got to be in the same room together. A lot of folks who I've made these connections with since the pandemic, finally, I got to see them. And it was just, man, it, it was just unlike anything that, that, that I could describe because it's such an emotional and visceral thing for me. Um, yeah. I think uh, for me, I, I hadn't been to a convention since 2011, and um, which was in Philadelphia. And um, for me personally, um, me to get from point A to point B professionally as an adult um, was was rough at times. Um, and I couldn't necessarily afford to go in years past. And um, I'll just say in some aspects, um, it, it was a it was a reset for me to come uh, to the NABJ convention um, because of preconceived notions. And for some, it is a country club. And I think that just to be transparent with you, there are things that, that went on professionally for me in 2014, just trying to get to and be all star weekend where I crowdfunded to go. And there were a lot of people within that group that frowned upon it and looked down on me. Um, but you can't let what other people think and you can't let how other people feel dictate what's for you. Um, and I think that we're in a space, I think, professionally, where a lot of the old guard and new guard is both intertwining and changing. Um, And I'm seeing that more and more every year uh, with some of the old heads and the young heads. 
um, in that group. And um, I'll just say that it was good to be there. It was good to see people that um, I met online, um, people that I know in person, people who I've seen in press rooms throughout the course of the season um, and kind of just intertwine um, and just have candid conversations. And so I, I think, you know, to, to kind of go back to what I said, 2011 to, I went to 2010 and I went to 2011 and I didn't return until 2022. Uh, that's 11 years. And a lot has changed for me and for you uh, in that time. And NABJ was, was pretty cool. Uh, I was glad to get to the West Coast um, and also take meetings and see people in between. Uh, and I actually got some good sleep while I was there. And me too. Like I, I literally, there were nights where I was just like, I'm not going out. I'm, this, this is a business trip. I came there to do business. Um, and that's what I was about. And I, I, I feel like I handled it, but you know, you, you brought up something interesting because you talk about, you know, people have these ideas and they, they, they have preconceived notions and you live in a space because of what you do, because of your presence, both in social media and in, in your, and, and in your career um, with Bally sports and et cetera, where, you know, the insider tag, you know, when you get that, when you, when you are in the information business of this as well, not just the reading of a teleprompter, not just uh, writing mm-hmm. of content, you are also at the time you generate headlines. That's what you do. Um, and there is a resentment that comes along with that. There is a, an impression that people have that of why you say certain things and when you say certain things and they are judging it from their perspective. How do you maintain that to where you stay on your course? Because, you know, I see it. I see that, you know, when people are subtweeting you and, and, and retweeting you and quote tweeting you and, and trying to poke holes in anything that you do, your responses are always very chill. They're, they're very chill. You just keep doing what you do. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we're right. That's the nature of this business. I, I don't mind being wrong. I don't live on my wrongs and I don't live on my rights. I live on what the information I have in the moment and what I'm trying to do. And uh, you know, how do you maintain that balance mentally? Knowing who I am um, and knowing that I had a purpose before anybody ever had an opinion. Um. And I also know that people are sheep and they follow what's popular. Um, They follow what's um, trending. Um, And if there was an option on the menu for somebody to chew and swallow and excrete their food, they do that too. Um, I'm nothing like anybody seen. I'm not even who I'm supposed to be yet. I'm not even 40 yet. And I'm not going anywhere. So you better get used to seeing me, listening to me, hearing me, watching me, hearing my accent, seeing the way I dress, talking about my family, um, hearing anecdotes, talking about hip hop. And I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean that truthfully. I mean that honestly. And what I have found is that the more and more I talk and just give logical thought and people aren't just seeing tweets, the more and more people get used to me. And I think that um, I'm noticing, like I'm going on, not just on radio, not just on 
um, TV. Like I go on these podcasts and I'll go on people's YouTube streams and just talk for two and a half hours about just life. And I think people have to get used to seeing and hearing me. It's And some stuff, it's me because I'm a smart ass. But some other stuff is things that we have to, me personally have to correct. Um, Kawhi going to the Lakers and some of the other things that I have said. And so people have to get used to hearing me. And, and there's more to me than just saying transactional stuff. Um, so it's, it's a process and, and I'm willing to put in the work. So I, I think I'm not trying to be Stephen A. I'm not trying to be Woj. I'm not trying to be Shams. I'm not trying to be Chris Haynes. I'm Brandon. And, and that's it. Like, I, I think that when you roll back layers and you just kind of, you just get into your groove um, and you just stay focused on your craft, everybody's not going to like you. I found that that, that is the, the thing that, uh, for me, and I think that that's made my journey a little, the world wind a little bit more, is because once you find your voice and you start to be authentic, people always tell you they want you to be authentic. But once you are yourself and you step outside of that box that we are pre-programmed to think of when we think of either radio personalities, television personalities, journalists, whatever, how we see it. And I don't come packaged like most people and you don't come packaged like most people. Right. Like, I represent myself. Like I, I have always wanted to be, and I think, you know, I see now the fruits of that in the market. I watch guys in New Orleans. I watch guys in Baton Rouge who have not, and I'm not saying this as a, as a negative, I, who have learned from what I have done. And when they come up to me, young cats who come up to me and ask me, the, the thing I tell them is always be yourself, be authentic. Because people always say they want the truth. They always want you to be that. But then the minute you are, they've stepped back. But if you right. continue, and I think most people, once they, they see people flinch from that, then they start to reduce themselves again. You know, it's the big man thing. When you see big guys and they are conditioned to hunt, hunch over to make sure that people feel comfortable. And you and I are tall guys. And you get conditioned at a certain point in your life to hunch over to make sure that people feel comfortable. I don't have to do that. You don't have to hunch over. You don't have to. You don't have to shrink your opinion. You got to be who you are. You don't be. You're not like you say. You're not being disrespectful. I'm not trying to be anything that I am not. But I am going to be me. And you're. And that requires you to accept that. And and I think you're right. The more people get in tune with authenticity, the more you present that to them. Eventually, they come around to it. You said what you said. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's just conversation. It's just talking. It what is in your mind? Because I think a lot of people have an idea in this business of what making it is, of what that end goal is. If it's sitting on a chair at ESPN, if it's having this or that. In your mind, when you have your and you have a plan for yourself, and there's a plan that you feel is bigger than yourself. Because certainly there's a purpose. I don't want to do anything that is not purposeful. I'm not here to be just a, a mouthpiece. I want my things, my what I do to have resonance and impact. Where is your path? Where do you see your purpose? Um, I used to think it was being at ESPN. Um, 
I will say that um, it's so much bigger than that because I have more interest, always have had more interest than just basketball. And to be honest with you, being an informational person is only part of what I do. Um, and I think that that making it has evolved over time. Like, so, you know, for people who may not be familiar with my story, um, you know, 97 to 99, I, I, I was doing radio for the Nets as a 12 year old kid. Um, you know, had a radio show on New York radio hosted it with Albert King, former net Evan Roberts, who's on WFAN was executive produced by Chris Carino, um, who was the play by play voice for the Nets. Um, and, you know, I did that for two years, was around Walsh when he was at the Bergen record in New Jersey. I was around Chris Broussard when he was at the Times. I was around Stephen A. Smith when he was at the Inquirer, Bob Ryan, um, you know, all those, all those iconic people. Um, I think that's where I got the, 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 the bug. Um, but my, my love for just basketball, you know, started grassroots basketball, um, in New York city, my, my, my uncle was a commissioner of the citywide basketball league. So you see the movie point guards, a lot of that stuff that was in that documentary, I was seeing in real time as a kid, um, you know, family owning a sneaker store and a men's shoe store, both in Harlem on 25th street. So for me, like I grew up seeing people do sneaker releases, Dominique Wilkins, Spud Webb, um, Hakeem Olajuwon when he was still Hakeem, um, you know, and then, you know, Dizzy Gillespie and, and my and my other uncle sitting in the men's shoe store having conversation about jazz and, and me sitting in and listening or, you know, the Sandman from the Cosby show on 125th Street dancing. And, you know, just I've always been intertwined to culture, hoops, basketball and more. I think the marriage of both um, really and truly um, came about. Um, I think at that point with the Nets. And then I only did that for two years and I went back to being a kid. Um, I've always had interest in sneakers. I've always had an interest in lifestyle, culture. Um, and I think, you know, over the last 16, 17, 18, about six, seven years, I've, I've been on fashion runways. Um, in New York Fashion Week, I've, I've, I've broken stories about athletes signing sneaker deals. I've, I've, interviewed players and just talking about various things. Um, I don't think it can be encompassed in just breaking news. Um, Amar Rashad was probably my muse as a kid. I was actually featuring NBA inside stuff as a kid. Um, but I, I feel like um, as you get older and you build a an audience and, you know, everywhere you're from, everybody who invested something in you, the church you belong to, the schools you went to, you, you represent more than just you. Um, and I think that where I am in the whole making it thing, um, I'm more impressed with what I've done as an adult the last 10 to 12 years than anything I've done as a child um, because of the journey being in my grandmother's basement in Jersey City after grad school when nobody would sign me, um, having a double door fridge, the freezer side operating as the fridge the refrigerator side, not refrigerating shit, not having a stove or oven, cooking on George Foreman grills, cooking on hot plates, cooking on crock pots, microwave, toaster oven, um, you know, freelancing at 10 to 12 different publications, adjunct professoring, collecting unemployment, food stamps, um, trying to rob Peter Pay Paul, and also taking care of my sick grandmother who lived two floors up from me. 
all at the same time. Um, those are things that don't start show up in the stat sheet. Um, I also feel like there is a uh, incongruency in what we as people of color have to endure or put up with to get on in comparison to our counterparts. Um, and I think it should be addressed more and it's not. And it's one of the, the, the things that are, I think one of the most best kept secrets. Um, and I feel like um, to get from there to, you know, writing at the Source magazine for free, being at CBS radio where people thought it was a full time job when it was we were getting paid off advertising dollars. And, you know, and I really learned the game uh, during that time digitally and how to make the Internet pop. Um, I, I think that that wealth of knowledge was I have a master's degree already, but that was literally uh, my Ph.D. study. Uh, for the last 10 years, how to build relationships, how to maintain relationships, um, and how to make things work for all parties involved. Um, that's really been my testimony the, from 2011, when I finished grad school and got my master's at Hofstra University, to 2022, where I sit now. And what's interesting about that journey is that, you know, like you said, people don't know, they just see the product. They don't know how the sausage is made. And, and you brought up the point about our particular struggle. And, you know, that I tell people my story that I was, you know, it took till 2019 for New Orleans to have a black person on the radio every day talking sports. And that was me. And it's sad. You know, I don't I don't view that. I, I take it with pride in that. You know, I got to do it. But it's also I think about the people who, were, who came before me who I knew should have had those spots who never got those opportunities. I was the same in Lafayette, Louisiana. I was the first one at the station in Lafayette. And it's there's this resistance and there's a reason that 90% of sports radio is white men. And as we've also seen, and Howard Bryan has brought this up over the last several months continuously talking about how the black male journalist in particular has been pushed out of television, um, has been pushed out of radio in, in, in exchange for the athlete. And we are competing more so against the athlete than we are against other journalists. We're not the black face that particularly for men in this business has become the athlete. And it's it's for us. That means that our quality of work has to be even better. We have to be even more compelling. We have to work even harder and sometimes take even more shit, quite frankly, because you're trying to get in that door that they really don't want to let you in. Yeah, you, you pretty much said uh, you filled in what I didn't say. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. I don't want to. Comp- and that's the thing is like I, we're put into this position of competition. And I'm not I don't want to compete with with you. You know, what I mean, and I don't view myself in competition with you. I'm competing with myself every day to do the best work that I do. But the yeah. business part of it wants me to view you as my competition, that I got to take something from you in order for me to get better. I feel like um, it kind of goes into um, what I said about some of my other colleagues. Like, you know, I'll tweet something and people like, unless it comes from Woj and Shams, it's not true. Or, you know, Scoop is not Mark Stein. He's not Woj. He's not Shams. He's not Chris Haynes. And, you know, I I know all of them. I don't have a problem with them. I don't want to be them. But that's not a knock on them. We're not, we don't do the same things. We do similar things. Um, but I don't, 
I don't wish to be them. I, I wish to be myself. So I, I, I preface that because people are like, oh, he's insulting them. I'm not insulting them. I, I just don't want to be them. I want to be myself. I want to be the first scoop, the only scoop. You know, if I can mentor somebody, cool. Um, and you see it sometimes in media rooms or at functions, like you see people that give you the stink face or, you know, like look at you like you're crazy or, you know, like I, I, I just want to be me and secure the bag for me, myself, my family. Um, I owe it to myself. I owe it to those who, 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 who invested or paved the way before me. Uh, my, my grandfather moved from Florida to, to New York, um, broke and, you know, um, <laughs> it's funny. My, my grandfather used to, a couple years ago, um, we had the, um, the NBA draft is in New York every year. And it's at the, mm-hmm. where people stay and other, other activations that they have. So it was in the same hotel and there's a train station nearby. Um, my grandfather used to shine shoes like for tips, the way the story was told to me um, and save this money. And then, you know, open a, and this was in Manhattan. He opened in Midtown. He opened a shoe shine stand. He opened a shoe sh- and then a shoe shine store. And then he opened a shoe store. Um, and so when I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm in that particular hotel and I happen to walk past that shoe shine stand and I'm getting my shoe shine, I'm like, damn, I'm, I'm living my grandfather's wildest dream. Like, I don't give a fuck about competing with y'all. Yeah. I just want to live my my family's dream and, and my family's legacy. And all that stuff matters to me. And I, 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 I'll add this. There's room for everybody to shine. There's room for Mark Stein to shine, David Grubb to shine, Adrian Wojnarowski to shine, Chris Haynes to shine. Mark Spears to shine, Stephen A. Smith to shine, Vincent Goodwill to shine, A. A. Sherrod Blakely to shine, everybody to shine. Karan um, Phillips, Karen, yeah, Karen Phillips, everybody. Like it's it's you. I feel like the industry creates a model for folks to compete and hate each other, and we hate folk we don't even know, especially amongst us. Because there are so few spots that it, it makes you, you know, like you say, you get that stink eye. And at the same time, you know, like, you know, people want you to. There's also this unspoken politics of once you walk in the locker room, you know, and I I, I, I remember when I first started in, in, in sports casting and you go in the locker room, and you, people tell you to learn your place. When do you when you ask a question, when it gets to be your turn? And I don't tell people that anymore. Like when I see young cats come in, I'm like, get yours. You only got so many minutes in this locker room. You only got so much time with these players. Get yours. You don't owe that dude from this station just because he's been there longer than you have. You don't owe these cats anything. You owe it to yourself to get your story. And I think that those politics and those things, us not playing by those rules necessarily, and it's not a disrespect to the game, but it's about, getting the job done and 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 i think that you know that that whole subservient thing that whole humble yourself to earn your place that is an outdated mode of operation it just it doesn't work anymore and it's particularly doesn't work if you're trying to create your own space because like you said to have your to create your space create your lane and that's the only lane i want to be in is mine and then i'll be honest do it my way 
that's where Scoopy Radio comes from. Uh, Scoopy Radio legitimately started uh, from a, a Timberland box um, full of tapes from my childhood. And I had interviews with Kimbe Mutombo, Kendall Gill, Scott Burrell, um, uh, J.R. Reed, David Wingate, Mike, Mike, Matt Geiger. Um, we, me and my business partner, DJ Maniel, we um, took those tapes and digitized them and put them on Podomatic. And what ended up happening was I got a call from Tim Thomas, uh, former NBA player, uh, my brother for life. And, um, you know, he wanted to discuss something that he saw, ironically, uh, Kenyon Martin, we've since put this to bed, but Kenyon Martin um, appeared on Wolger's podcast back when he was at Yahoo. Uh, I think it was a podcast called The Vertical. Um, and the, the snippet that got cut was that whole thing with Kenyon and, and, and Tim back in the day. Tim, I literally was on the train headed back to my apartment and Tim was like, yo, school, we got to talk about this. So I remember at the time I was, I had moved out of my grandmother's house. I was living a block away at a friend's three bedroom and was sleeping on the floor. Like I had a mattress. I didn't even have a, a box spring. And I had like a phone, my phone and a tape recorder. And I'll put the tape recorder next to my phone. And I recorded the whole interview and it hit like it, it was about Kenyon or Tim's response to Kenyon and all this other stuff. And um, the, 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 the metrics that it did, my business partner was like, yo, we, we got to create Scoopy Radio, like we got to get our own domain. And then, you know, I ended up leaving CBS uh, and taking a position at Respect Magazine where I was a managing editor uh, and a columnist. And I basically would take all my interviews that I did and write them up in, um, you know, from Scoopy Radio into to Respect Magazine uh, and would continue, stuff would continue to flow. And um, it, it, was t- it was creating our own lane and Scoopy Radio popped when I did an interview with Kenny Smith, again, New York City grassroots guy. Yeah, I'm going to talk to Kenny. I had, yes, sir. I had asked a question about um, the Rockets and if Michael had retired, would the Bulls still have won, you know, those championships? And he said, we would have beat him, no question. Like that, that quote hit the jump. Like it went crazy uh, on the internet. And, you know, like we ended up just booking more guests. I think, I think Scoopy Radio garners at this point, like 10 to 15 million streams annually. Um, but it all started literally mom and pop grassroots. Um, and, and I think, you know, there are people who feel like, you know, I skipped the line. Uh, I, I did what I had to do from a, 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 pers- a perspective of um, I wasn't in those, those cool kids clubs. Um, I, I had to go get mine and, and also put my team in position also. And uh, a lot of things began to change in 2018 when I told the world before it became knowledge that, you know, LeBron James was joining the Los Angeles Lakers and he was going to join it with a, a, a trailer of Space Jam 2. And those those plans changed um, immensely. Um, but, you know, things started to really change and, you know, shift and just, you know, the last four years has, has really been God's work. I, I can't take credit for it. I did the work, but, you know, just, just his favor, his, his, his timing, not my own. Um, 
I'm in a, I'm, I'm in a position where I am to, you know, do what I need to do for me, myself, my family and, and my team. But you, you, when you create your own brand, I think that's where we are right now in sports media. You see that independent route in hip hop. I think you've seen over the last few years, journalists do the same thing. And uh, it's interesting. Yeah. It, I think it, it, it makes you actually, I mean, it made me better. It made me better because I think if I had stayed completely mainstream, I wouldn't have learned as much. You have to when you have to do it yourself, you have to take more risk. You have to learn more skills. You have to make yourself more versatile. And so, you know, you know, like they talk about a five two player in baseball. That's what you got to become now as a broadcaster or as a communicator. You better have all the tools. You better know how to cut your own stuff. You better know how to, to solicit your own interviews. You better know how to do your own research. You better know how to edit. You better know how to do some graphic work if you got to whatever you need to know how to do whatever somebody else could be you you might have to pay somebody to do you better figure out how to do it on your own and at least make it work and i think that 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 a lot of folks still don't get that when you meet up with young folks that they think that there's this natural progression that gets you from i did tv in high school and i worked at the tv station on campus or i wrote for the campus newspaper and now i'm gonna go there's no straight line man there's no straight line. You got to be prepared for whatever curves that the road throws at you. And for us, it's a hairpin curve all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to hit on with you before we get into some serious NBA questions is, like you said, you're inspir- you talked a little bit about your inspirations. But when you said and you started at 12, most people at 12 don't, don't want to get into broadcasting. What made you decide at that age that broadcasting was something and telling stories? Because that's, I mean, that's what this business is, is telling and conveying stories. At 12, I, I, I did not have that clarity. Um, I grew up watching 60 Minutes with Ed Bradley specifically. Uh, he was also a child prodigy. Uh, they say I'm a child prodigy. I, I just knew what I wanted early in life. I was reading, I was different. I was reading the newspaper as a kid. I was watching, um, you know, the 92 presidential election with Bill Clinton and and I think it was Bush at the time, George Sr. Um, and having grown conversation with people, you know, older than me just about politics. I knew people's uh, stances on abortion and, mm-hmm. you know, just budgets and all that other stuff. I just kind of immersed myself into that. I remember leaving church and, you know, going and getting the newspaper. I remember and reading it on the way home. Um, I remember um, just, I remember my mom uh, took me to this, um, it's like this, remember, do you remember on, I think it was, it was Good Morning America, the weatherman's name was Spencer Christian. Yes. Black guy, weatherman. My mom took me to meet him. And he was speaking and signing his book. And I actually remember um, that when I auditioned to do the radio show, I read something from Spencer Christian's book and used that in my audition. Um, and, you know, it just, I've always been interested as far as the Nets and how that came about. Um, my mom's friend from church. She told her about an audition at Chelsea Pier Manhattan for a kids radio show. So the kids radio show or a, a kids radio station was at 
was the name of this station was 1660 AM Oz World Radio at the Liberty Science Center in Jersey City. And um, basically, uh, they were choosing some kids to become kid personalities. And I killed the first audition. The second audition was at Dangerfield's Comedy Club, where I read Spencer Christian's, an excerpt from Spencer Christian's book. Um, and I and I got the call. And the first shoot that we did at Liberty Science Center was like with a bunch of other kids where we were doing a commercial with the crash dummies. Like they, we were running around inside the station in the control room. And like, that's a commercial. Like I can't find it to this day. <laughs> so I, I've actually called like, I've called like DC to try to like track it down. Like I can't find it. But, um, you know, what happened was at the same time that that was going on, the Nets were rebranding. Um, this was at a point where, you know, Keith Van Horn was their first pick in the draft. John Calipari was the vice president of basketball operations. They had Sam Cassell. Um, they had uh, Jason Williams, Jason Williams, Kendall Gill, Chris Gatling. Yep. I think you look like um, <laughs> on that team. Um, and I and and I just remember the Nets, you know, they had a new logo and the Nets had call, actually called the radio station and said, hey, we're looking for a kid who likes basketball. Do you have anybody who'd be interested? And they picked my black ass to, 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 to go in. And, you know, so my mom was my mom and my stepfather and my baby sister, like they talked about it. And, you know, my my baby sister was one years old at the time. And, um, you know, she um, she was in a carriage with my mom, my mom and I. We all went to the Nets headquarters and they interviewed me. They liked me. And, um, you know, I, the first interview that I ever did was with um, Keith Van Horn. And, and that's just it, it for me is like I always knew I could talk. You know, what I mean, I, like I was that kid that in school, the principal would pick to go and give the speeches to, you know, go up there. I was always that kid. And but I never thought that this is where I would end up. I like I was I'm the same as you when I was coming up. Politics was something that was big in our household. We always talked about things. We read the newspaper frequently. You know, that was part of our routine. Going to the library was something that I did on the regular. I was, you know, I have no shame in saying that I was a nerd. None. You know, I was I, I was interested in, in a lot of things. Um, and now when I look back, though, you know, I was also the kid that when me and my dad and my brother were playing Tecmo Bowl, I'm writing stats for Tecmo Bowl. <laughs> you know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm doing play by play mm-hmm. out loud while they're playing. But we were doing, you know, like those things. And it, it starts just following me. And it took up until, you know, even when I got to college and I was doing college TV, I thought I was close. And I did when I was on television. I liked it, but it still wasn't my voice yet. And, I, you hmm. know, that, that finding of my voice took me a minute because I was so good at adapting for other people's voice. Like I wrote speeches for other people. I did commercial advertising, public relations. I was real good at disseminating other people's messages, Hmm. but I hadn't found my voice. And so it took me a little bit longer to get confident enough to say, I don't want to say what other people are asking me to say. I don't want to disseminate and diffuse and, 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 um, re reconstruct so that, that other people can, can do it. I want to say what I want to say. Because I noticed I started slipping in more of myself in my speeches or things for other people. And <laughs> I was like, well, maybe I should just start talking for myself. You should. And that once I started doing that, it took a minute, you know, it takes reps. It takes reps. 
Um, but once I found the intent, the reps got so much easier. Once I knew where I wanted to go with myself, and he said, then the destination, the rest of the destinations, whatever comes after this, whatever is what I've done to get to this point, that stuff was a lot clearer because I knew who I was. And, and, and it just, no matter how long it takes, that clarity, getting that clarity of understanding who you are is the most important thing in any of this. In life, in life and being just true to that understanding of who you are and where you fit in in this world and not allowing other people to point you in directions that take you away from that because they always will. There's always somebody who's got an idea for you and your plan to take you somewhere else. And you have to be true to it. And sometimes it's going to be, it's going to come back and it's going to maybe not necessarily be a positive thing in the moment. Cause you know, you've been hit with criticism. You get hit with, with setbacks. You've been hit with things because you made a decision that you felt was right. But ultimately you are where you are because you stay true to that. You stay true to you. You stood on it. Um, you valued it. I, I've I've been vocal about uh, my mom who passed away in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was diagnosed with stage four uh, endometrial cancer back in July of last year. And um, some of the best conversations that she and I had uh, were in July of last year uh, when she was in the hospital and she had not yet been diagnosed, but then she started her treatment. Um, and you know, I, in 2019. Um, I had reported something that I knew to be true. Um, but basically I was a contracted worker with that network and, um, they cut me from the show. And my mother at the time was looking out for me on the show. And I did not tell her what happened because I was embarrassed and, I opened up with to her last year about it. And she said, did you lie? No. Did you tell the truth? Yes. Then you have nothing to worry about. She said, people lose their jobs and all the time and get fired and opportunities, um, you know, get taken. She goes, but if you told the truth and you, and you, and you knew what you did was the right thing, then you had nothing to worry about. And it was, that was something that I held on to for some time. Like that happened in 2019. I didn't tell her until 2021. And I knew that if my mom said it was okay, I don't give a damn what these people have to say. Absolutely. Um, let's switch gears and talk about some of the top NBA storylines that have been going on. Um, obviously the schedule release is out. I am not a person who really puts much in the schedule release day. It doesn't really matter to me because you got to play 82 games. You got to play 82 games. And people look at them and say, oh, we got a, we got a favorable starter. We got a soft middle. We got a good end. None of those things matter because nobody's gotten hurt yet. Nobody's gotten traded. Nobody's gotten fired. None of those things have taken place. Um, but, of course, there are always things on the schedule that people look forward to. Christmas being the unofficial start of the NBA season. Um do you when you look at the matchups, were any of those when they placed the Christmas schedule, keeping like a team like the Knicks that had such a bad year last year? And I know New York is New York, but the Knicks were really underachievers last year. And they get a, again, they get a decent spot on Christmas Day, um, better than some of the teams that finished ahead of them. You got teams that have more question marks. 
um, that that got Christmas Day spots. How it, it, to me, it's tough for the league to, to do these projections when it does television, because a lot of times, again, the season has not played out, but the league is trying to anticipate what's going to happen. And we saw last year, everything that people anticipated, nobody expected Golden State to have the best record, you know, second best record in the, the West. Nobody expected Phoenix to be the number one team in the West. You didn't expect Milwaukee to fall back to third and fourth in, in the East. Those things were not expected. And, and, I think that that's going to be the case again this year. Yeah, I don't put much stock into um, the whole portion of uh, of um, I, I think if 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 we're going to base predictions on teams, the Nets would have won the last two years. Um, the Lakers would have won last year. Uh, to me, um, schedule day for the NBA is like a Jordan release, a Madden release, a 2K release. You sit with those games after a while, Madden or 2K. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm on the game, but I I, I didn't like 2K last year. I, I, played more, I played Madden, and I stopped playing Madden a long time ago. I played Madden more than I played 2K last year. As to 2K this year, and, you know, they're bringing back the Jordan, <laughs> bringing back the Jordan Quest and all that, and that's cool. But I don't think that's what people – are looking for at this stage. I, I'm still waiting for 2K to figure out, let you, let you play defense. You know what I'm saying? Like the simple stuff. Let me play defense. Let me not have these situations where I can't get a jumper to go clean for five straight minutes because you made the release so weird. To me, it up. 2K's game release, to, for me personally, I, I haven't enjoyed that, bigger of a, that big of a transition since 2014 when LeBron was on the cover. I, I'm, I'm of the mindset now, too, with 2K. If they're going to charge as much as they charge for in-game purchases, then it should be a free plat- platform game. And just let me – if I'm going to pay that money. Because people are spending thousands of dollars. Yeah. Well, we got to get you some promo codes. I'm going to make sure I take care of you. <laughs> I appreciate that. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy that you pay 60 bucks for the game. And the in-app purchases, you know, in-game purchases, I know people thousands of dollars over the course of the year for their player, for their cards, for all that stuff. And it's just they're they're making money hand over fist because they got the market blocked out ever since they killed off NBA Live. And my son, my stepson worked on the last NBA Live and he used to call me and he'd be like, Pop, you know, he's like. Is this, he's not a, he wasn't a giant basketball fan, but he was a big gaming person. So he would call me about stuff in the game. He's like, is this supposed to happen? I'm like, no, no. So you, I knew how much of a mess NBA Live was. But, you know, there's no competition for 2K really at this point. And so I think that they've gotten to the point where they, you know, they, they just put new wrapping paper on the same package each year, essentially. Slightly, the gameplay, yeah, everybody gets hyped up. Oh, it looks slightly better. But the gameplay isn't better. The gameplay isn't better. That's the part. You can't, you still have difficulty having a competitive 
game at the highest level because there are things you just can't do the way that they've set them up. And it's gameplay is always the most important thing. And I think that they, for them, it sells. As long as they can sell the materials, as long as they can make you buy more tokens, as long as they can make you buy more outfits in the store, then they got you. Yeah. I'd like to see somebody. Same page. We're on the same page. We're on the same page. And I want to answer your question. The Knicks... The NBA office is still in Manhattan. Madison Square Garden is still in Manhattan. Um, the Knicks sell out whether they're good or they're bad. Um, and it's usually good for the league when the Knicks are doing well. I think there's an expectation that the Knicks are going to be better. Um, I think in, in the eyes of, of, of people who are decision makers, um, I think that they're banking on a Donovan Mitchell move before the start of the season. Um, And I think that the Nets in the eyes of people are too shaky. Um, And just, and to be honest with you, I'm not mad if the, like if the Nets come back at full force, I'm not mad that the Nets get less TV games because you're paying more attention to the Warriors. You're paying more attention to the 76ers. You're you're paying more you're paying more attention to Luca and the Mavs, who have gotten a ton of national games. Um, ja. You're paying attention to Yana. You're paying more. Well, ja, see, Ja checks boxes because Ja's inf- influence on social media last year was what it was. Um, and that's I feel like they haven't won anything, and they have something to prove to people because they haven't won anything. So no, I don't think they should be on TV. The Lakers are still the Lakers. The Celtics are still the Celtics. But the Nets still got some things to prove and some housekeeping. So as it relates to your question about the Knicks, um, I don't think it's so bad. But I also think the, the NBA has enough wiggle room that if a team like like say like like say Sacramento or the Pacers do well this year, they have enough wiggle room that they can adjust games. Yeah, I mean, so, look at the Pelicans. Look at the Pelicans. I mean, you know, they're a team that could be potentially tremendous box office this year. The Pelicans could be one of the more exciting teams to watch. And I, people were down here were mad because they only got 11 national TV games. But but I think the league is wary of the fact that two years, you know, Zion's rookie year, they gave them 30-something national TV games, and Zion played in two. And so <laughs> they ended up cutting all those off. The Pelicans kind of have to earn that back. But hopefully the league is flexible as the season goes along, because I think there are players that we should see more of. I think we could see Jokic a bit more than we have in in years past. I mean, it's a two-time MVP, and we don't see him on television very often. I know it doesn't necessarily have to be in Denver because of the time. I get that that it's difficult to put it in Denver, but Jokic should be on TV more because I think that's part of what drove people's misunderstanding last year to MVP, and I understand the case for both. But I think the part of the reason that Jokic doesn't get the understanding of how good he is, is that he's rarely on TV. You don't see him until the playoffs. I feel like the Nets are in an out-of-mind, out-of-sight type of situation if they do bring everybody back and they have less TV games. Under the That's radar right there. Look at, look, at, look, at, look at Milwaukee last year. Look at Boston this past year. Under the radar. People didn't even think Boston was going to make it to the finals or let alone the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Playoffs. 
I mean, we talk about. I mean, we thought Boston was in chaos at this time last year because Brad Stevens moved up to the front office. They bring in a first-year coach in MMA Udoka, who I love, and I pitched him for the Pelicans' job before the Pelicans hired uh, Stan Van Gundy. Udoka was the guy that I wanted at that time. Now it ends up working out for the Pelicans, of course, and getting Willie Green. But you know, Udoka has shown. He figured something out. Now he's got another thing to figure out this year with Boston. And I think the biggest thing is figuring out how to get them to dribble so much less. Like, why do the Celtics dribble the ball so damn much? Like, (laughs) you can't have Jason Tatum turning it over 100 times in the postseason. That can't happen. Yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) Um, Let's get into the 76ers for a second. Ben Simmons will probably play now. You know, he's got his deal worked out with the Nets, get his money back. He's mm-hmm. going to start the season fresh. Um, James Harden will likely come in in, in pretty decent shape because it looks like James has recommitted himself in some ways to the franchise, considering what he did this offseason money-wise that allowed him to get some talent. Uh, Joel, you count on for about 65 games a year. You know, um, he's, he's always going to take some rest because of the, the injury history. But there's a lot of that team, even more so than the Nets. This has to be a now or never moment for the Sixers. To me, 2019 was the Sixers' best chance. Um, and Kawhi and, and the Raptors had, had other plans. And um, I think we're – I don't want to say supremely better. They just They just peaked at the right time. Um, I liked that Sixers team, um, and I think had they gone to the finals, we would have had the same conversation about that Sixers team with Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, as we did the 08 Celtics and how they did it in one year. I'm not comparing them. I'm saying the ability to gel in one year. That that's like the Miami Heat didn't do it in year one. Right. Um I think that the Sixers have been trying to figure it out since then. Um Al Horford wasn't a trick. Brett Brown stayed too long. Doc Rivers is what they needed. And Ben Simmons being out this past season, I was around that team before Harden was traded, and I was around that team after he got there. They were solid before he got there. They were solid when he got there, when he got there. Um, and I think they need a full like training camp, media day, preseason, regular season, all-star break, second half, and playoffs to get it together. Because even with that process of, of um, you know, them losing to the Heat in the playoffs, when B didn't get hurt, we might be having a different conversation about who would have represented the East. But I also just think it was Boston's time last year. Just like I think it just happened to be Milwaukee's time. It happened to be Phoenix's time. 
the Warriors had to get their situation back together. Just certain things just have to happen in order for things to click. That's why I think preseason favorites is kind of like gimmicky. Yeah. I mean, I think you can, you know, that, that essentially that teams will be strong, but I don't like doing rankings. I don't like preseason trying to decide who is. Because again, these are human beings. This is not playing it out on sim for 82 games. And then, you know, it just comes out that a certain way. So much, there's so many variables over the course of a season. Um, and it's to see who can withstand. And then, and then you take a team like the Nuggets. And I look at them and you say, they can be getting Jamal Murray back at full strength. If Michael Porter Jr. comes back and, and can provide them something, if he gives them half a season, if he's ready by the all-star break and comes back and he's there for the second stretch of the season with what Jokic has already done, with what they've been able to do with some, you know, some minor players, you add that kind of talent back to them, we know how good they can be. And, and, and the same with you look at a team, the Pelicans made the 10 spot, get into the playoffs, in the, the play-in, Sacramento was only a couple games behind them. As bad as Sacramento was at certain stretches of the year, they were still only like a game and a half back. You know, this is this league is so tight that it's one bad week can take you from the five seed to the ten really quickly. And and I think that particularly the West this year and what is the the you know people keep talking about the stronger. I think the West is more fluid. The East is better at the top. I think the teams at the top of the East are more, it's more easy to to identify with the West. Golden State can finish anywhere from one to six. That's possible this year. I mean, to me, and the same with. Even if they finish six, they still could go to the finals. They still could go to the finals. Yeah. It's it's that fluid to me in the West. I think in the East, the top five teams are a lot easier to identify. The bottom is a lot more fluid in the East where you don't know who's going to be the lower half of the playoffs. But I think in the West, there isn't much difference to me between two and seven. There isn't much difference to me between three and six when it gets down to it, because a lot of these teams are constructed in very similar ways. They have a transcendent player, whether it's Luka, whether it's Jokic, whether it's, uh, you know, whomever it is. Everybody's got one transcendent player at the very top of the of, of the West. And it's who can figure out how to stay healthy. And who's going to get that supporting piece, that one supporting piece somewhere along the line that gives them the boost? And to me, I mean, that, that, you know, Dallas is a piece away. They're all like last year. You could see it. They added some good things in the offseason. Do those pieces mature the right way? Getting rid of Porzingis, I think, was a huge move for Dallas. It wasn't working. And they instead of sticking with it and trying to make that that round peg fit into that square hole, they cut that bait. And I was really, you know, I was impressed that the Wood Dallas did this offseason. And I'm impressed with the, the fact that, you know, I think the one team that I'm more worried about than anybody else in the West is Memphis in the sense that they don't have a grown-up in the room. They have all the talent in the world, and they have the problem that I have with the Pelicans at times is that they don't have the grown-up, the one that you can turn to and say, all right, let's settle this shit down for a second. This is what we need to do. Everybody is a, is a really energetic overexcited you saw it in the playoffs they lost their cool at times and they need a you don't look at Steven Jackson as the grown-up Steven Jackson excuse me Steven Steven Adams no he's not good enough 
as because I mean he barely played in the postseason. You okay. got to be on the court to be the grown up. You got to give you know, somebody. You know, for the Pelicans when they added CJ McCollum, he was the first one to come in and say, "This is how winners play." You know, I've been in the playoffs. I've been in conference finals. This is how winners play because nobody else on the roster had even seen the postseason before. And the Pelicans only went 14 and 14 with CJ. People forget it wasn't like they had an amazing record. They were at 500 with CJ. But their purpose, the way that they played, if you watch them play, they were a tremendously different team. And they were what able to get Danny, What about Danny Green? Again, I think it's, it's too much. It has to be somebody who's, who is going to be a major contributor, not necessarily the star. That's fair. Not necessarily the star, but somebody that you, you look at and you're like, this guy can win a game for us. Danny Green's not at the stage where he can help you win a game. He can knock down five, six threes in a night and help you win a game. But you can't turn to Danny Green and say, Danny, take us home. I can turn mm-hmm. to CJ and say, CJ, take us home on a certain night. You know what I mean? And I think that's 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 what I'm looking for for that's for for fair. Dallas. Is Lucas needs that one other person that Luca needs to be able to be like, look, they got me tonight. I'm bottled. I need you to be able to go off a little bit for me and loosen me up. Because that's that you know that's I think that's what LeBron's you know when you go all the way back to LeBron in Cleveland, he was always waiting for you know that first stretch at Cleveland before he comes back and has Kyrie. There was no valve release for him. If he didn't do it and allow somebody to become that second person. There was nobody who was there to seize that second role. And I think you have to have somebody who can seize that secondary or third, particularly now you got to have a third score. Um, you know, if you don't have somebody who's going to seize that job as a veteran, um, that makes it really difficult. And I think the Celtics ran into that in the finals. You know, when Jason Tatum wasn't on, you know, where did they go? You know, Jalen Brown could only do so much. Marcus Smart is a limited offensive player at times. And when, so when Jason Tatum didn't have it, there wasn't another person. They were counting on guys who could get hot at certain times, and they were able to do that in the other rounds. But when it came to the finals against the Warriors, that guy wasn't there. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what you, you need to have that person. And I think that's what the Celtics are looking for, too, is, is this year I think they're, they're going to try to make a move and find another person. And I think Marcus Smart is probably the guy who ends up getting moved because of that, is that they're looking for somebody with a little more maturity, who doesn't pound the basketball, who can do something without the ball. Uh, and that's, I think that's the part that they miss. Kevin Durant? In Boston? Mm-hmm. Do you make that commitment? Like, that's the hard thing now for anybody, I think, is that Durant's got four years left on his contract. Do you think he'll play four years for you? That's the question every owner's going to ask. Yeah. Because if I'm giving up assets, can I count on this dude to stay here long enough to make it worth it? Yeah, and I and I think that also Boston's going to have to give up a lot to get him. Which you have to give up Brown for sure. You have to give up Brown. You have to give up Robert Williams the third. You may have to give up Marcus Smart. And then and the Celtics want to keep Smart and Brogdon together in the backcourt. Mm-hmm. So. You know, Al Horford, appreciate him, but uh, Al's getting long in the tooth. That body only got so many miles in it. He, he and LeBron are a different 36 and 37. And LeBron's about, yeah, LeBron's about to be 38. And like you said, and, and even LeBron is showing wear 
you know, he's not he's he's not 82 game LeBron. He's not right now. He might not be 75 game LeBron, you know, uh, and certainly we know that he's, he's a step slower <laughs> both by choice and by age defensively. He is not he's no longer somebody that you can count on to stop people. Um, right. And so, I, I mean, those things like, yeah, if we want to talk about the Lakers, you take a look at that. You say, even if they get Kyrie. The reason they won the championship in the bubble is because they were the best defensive team in the bubble. When you look at that roster, if you add Kyrie and Anthony Davis shot his ass off. I mean, Anthony Davis shot the ball better than he had ever shot it in his life in the bubble. Mm -hmm. But if you add Kyrie to that group and you give up Dalen Horton, Tucker, whomever you have to give up, Russ, whatever. Uh, are you are you any better defensively at this stage? And does Anthony and are you confident enough that Anthony Davis is going to be a defensive player of the year type player who still wants to play power forward when it's clear and it's been clear his entire career? And it was the problem when he was in New Orleans. That's why he and Monty Williams didn't get along at the time because Monty wanted him to play center. And it's the problem that he's had since since when Alvin wanted him to play center. They always wanted him to play center. That's his best position. He right. would be he'd be unstoppable at center if he would get his ass on the block. But you see it every, every year he's been with the Lakers. And I point this out to people all the time. The comparison that I used to make with Anthony Davis was Bob McAdoo. That, that, that they were jump shooting big men. They're, the first four years of their career, the stats are almost identical. McAdoo had a, obviously had a different career trajectory, but was also an MVP, you know, one of the well, 75 best players of all time. But AD has decided to just be a jump shooter almost exclusively now. You look at his peak three years with the Pelicans, the vast majority of his shots came within five feet of the rim. Now, more than half of his shots are coming in that mid-range and in the three-point area, which I think has just been a huge mistake for him. Well, that's what ends up happening with power forwards that play with LeBron. They become jump shooters, power forwards and centers. That ain't his game. No. It's not his game. It's clearly it, – and that's the part that has always bothered me about Anthony Davis. And I tell – you know, when you look, go back all the way to his high school career, this dude who won, what, 13 combined games his junior and senior year of high school and was the number one player in the country coming out. And even his own coaches then said, Anthony wants to be a great teammate. And I think Anthony, look, I, I've been in that locker room. I've I heard Boogie Cousins, you know, that Boogie told Anthony one time, you know, when Boogie had torn his Achilles in that season. And he was like, if you don't want to play, give me your Achilles and I'll go out there and do it myself. Uh-huh. Word. And so, I mean, I think that has always been part of who he is, is that he wants somebody to lead him and that's why he liked LeBron LeBron fulfilled that role he liked Rondo because Rondo fulfilled that role Rondo was able to drag his ass and tell pull him to the side and say this is what you got to do if you don't do that with AD if you don't command that with him and if you don't demand things of him in a strong enough way his personality is not any he has more physical get talent he has more basketball talent than Giannis mm-hmm. Mm. But Giannis is the far better basketball player in my mind. If you ask me to take, you know what I'm saying? Like if you say all the skills, put them together, Anthony's the better jump shooter. Anthony's probably smoother. He's not as, you know what I'm saying? All the fluidity is there. But Giannis is relentless in what he does. Giannis knows who he is as a basketball player. Just like we were talking about knowing who you are as a broadcaster. 
Giannis knows exactly who he is as a basketball player. And when he adds something to his game, he knows how to use it. And he doesn't go away from, he, you know what I'm saying? Like and that with AD, I think he's in a constant identity crisis with who he is as a basketball player. Giannis or AD? AD. Yeah, Anthony Davis, Davis is in a show improved type year for the for the Lakers and at large. Uh, I remember doing my you know my IG live through my partnership with Bovada and Ed Lover came on that legendary radio host and said uh, Anthony Davis always gets hurt if it gets hurt if he if he put turns on the heat while the car radio was on in the cold he gets injured. Um, Anthony Davis to me. Um, it's an interesting playing alongside LeBron James is it's is difficult because you have to adjust your skill set because he is a small forward, a point guard and a small forward or power forward's body. Um, you saw it in Cleveland when he played alongside Booby Gibson when Gibson was the point, but LeBron was the primary uh, ball distributor. Um, he, he, versus Kyrie took the ball. And I don't mean that take the ball like he took it from LeBron. He just right. his role, and he had a LeBron had a killer in Le, in Kyrie in Cleveland, and they won in 2016. I think I think um, Anthony Davis going through that growth sport in in childhood, um, and actually being an, an actual point guard and transitioning into a four or five, but really having a face up game rather than having a a, a traditional center or power forwards game, I think it's representative of today's NBA. Um, but I also think playing in Frank Vogel's system at the time, um, it still catered to his skill set as a face-up scorer. Um, but there are some things that Anthony Davis does that are similar to the things that LeBron James does. Um, I also think with, that with Anthony Davis specifically, um, he reminds me of Kevin Love transition from Minnesota to Cleveland. Kevin Love cut out his carbs and slimmed down a lot. And I think becoming less bulky in some aspects, I feel like it was detrimental to his game because he was effective. Um, you know, I, I told you I come from a Nets background and I, and I use this example uh, old old head basketball fans within the last 20 years may remember a guy by the name of Jamie Fike who played for the then yep. Nets. Went to Michigan State. Yep. Jamie Fike um, basically got a hell of a lot of minutes when Jason Williams broke his leg and got hurt. Um, you saw the same thing with Chris Humphreys when Humphreys joined the Nets. And then when the Nets built the team around Joe Johnson and Darren Williams the following year, um, Humphreys wasn't getting the same touches. I've always compared Fike to Humphreys. Um, comparatively, when you look at um, Kevin Love and you look at what he brought to the to that Cavs team, um, I feel like he deferred a lot to LeBron and he stood around and watched LeBron and Kyrie dribble and get to the cup. Um, comparatively, I felt the same about Chris Bosh in Miami. He, he, he was relegated to more of a, a stand-up jump shooter who LeBron kicked to in the corner for the double team. Similarly to how in LeBron's first stint in Cleveland, he did so with Zajunas Silgowskis. Um, LeBron is going to draw those double and triple teams, and, and if you're playing alongside LeBron, you've you got to be a solid shooter, a la Booby Gibson, Danielle Marshall, 
um, J.R. Smith and others. Um, and I think that in, in L.A., you're seeing the same thing with Anthony Davis. I'm not saying LeBron is a, is a curse because he's won rings with those guys. But, hell, he won a ring. I think if Gauskas was on that team, I th- no, he was on there the first year. He wasn't on there the second year that they won. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I feel like LeBron, the first, like for three, four years, he's effective. And then the team has to kind of reboot or move on. You saw that in, in 16 with when he left Miami or when he, when he came back to Cleveland. And and I think, um, you know, him signing that two year extension with the Lakers was interesting um, because I think he looked at the market out there. I think he looked at the, 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 the thought process of, uh, you know, a potential lockout. I hope it's not. Um, and just the future, like, is he waiting on his son? Is his son going away to school? Is the is the collective bargaining agreement going to change? Um, and then, and I think the Lakers have put a lot of value on him breaking that scoring record in the Lakers uniform. Probably put a tremendous amount of value because I don't think the Lakers are going to win a championship in the next three years. I don't believe that's going to happen. So I think it, this is this. It's you know somebody asked me yesterday if this was you know how would I compare this to the Kobe situation at the end of Kobe's career. And I, you know, because the Lakers weren't good, obviously. I said, but Kobe tore his Achilles and the Lakers got rid of all the players. LeBron has gotten the players that he's asked for by and large since he got to L.A. He shipped out the youngsters. He got A.D. He got, you know, you, you added the, you got Russ when you wanted Russ. You got these guys that you wanted, that you asked for. Young Waiters, J.R. Smith. You asked for all these dudes. Bill Handy. So this is the ship you built. If it's leaking, you got to take some of the responsibility for that. But it's also this also to me proves the theory that Pat Riley was right. You know, the best thing players can't run organizations. They can have ideas. They can have input. The Bulls had Michael Jordan had a lot of ideas when he was Chicago. Remember, Michael Jordan wanted there was a time when Michael Jordan was begging for them to sign Walter Davis. Remember he said, you got to get Walter Davis. You, now you remember this, right? We yeah. old school. And the Bulls said, no, we don't need no Walter Davis. And Jordan was all mad. And Walter Davis didn't do nothing the rest of his career. Nothing. Hey, hey Dave, Dave, you in New Orleans, right? Yep. Remember when y'all was mad at me because I said Anthony Davis was leaving New Orleans and coming to L.A.? I knew what? he was going, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, when yeah. he was still with um, um, who was his previous um um agent? Yeah, for sure. That's yeah, when he was Thad. Thad wanted him out years ago. Yeah, and 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 I know, you know, I know people that were close to Thad, and Thad was, and they were telling me it was like Thad was so upset that AD had resigned at you know that when he first when he signed his rookie extension, Thad was so mad. Because he signed, he didn't want him to sign it at all. He was like, "No, let's go into restricted free agency. Let's get out of here because this is not going to work here." Because they're asking you to be something again. They were asking him to be something he's not. He is not the guy. He's not your number one. He can be. He might be the most talented player on whatever team he's on, but he is not your number one. And and Thad could see that. They didn't. I, I, it was, and I, when people got mad at me. Because you had said that he was when he was going to LA. I when when Rondo signed with LA, I said that was the end. Because that yeah. was coordinated. All of that was coordinated 
to happen. It was supposed to be that way. Rondo gave the Pelicans an impossible deadline because he knew they couldn't match it and he knew they couldn't match the cost. So when he went, that was another part of the steps for AD to be able to like, okay, they got my communicator in Rondo. I want to be with LeBron. I want to be that, that was years in advance. That was that was, that was two years in the making for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And LeBron coming to um LA in 2018. That's why Kyrie ultimately left Cleveland because Kyrie sources say knew that K- Little Brown wasn't going to resign with the Cavs beyond 2018. LeBron, people have to ultimately remember, LeBron is the first player who 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 decided that there he had a plan for his career that did not include staying in one place. It was never going to be. I don't think that even if he, even if the Cavs had won a title, I don't think he stayed in Cleveland for his entire career. I think it was about building that brand. And he went to places where he knew each time there was a strategic moment. He, it, it's not that Riley didn't want his people on the plane. That's not why he left Miami. That's not it. You know what I'm saying? It was the most successful because of the things that they were able to do that because, you know, Riley had certain controls and was able to rein things in. And you have a Dwayne Wade who's strong enough in that locker room and you have a Udonis Haslam. You had enough strong veteran guys in that locker room that LeBron could not dominate the locker room in, in any kind of way. But in other places where LeBron is able to suck up all the air, like you said, in Cleveland and in L.A., when he's able to suck all oxygen out of the room because it's for him. Then that's when you know it's on. You are on borrowed time when you have LeBron James. If it doesn't hit quick, it's not going to hit. And the Lakers got their hit quick. They got that title out of it, but they paid a price for it. They paid the price in the long term because now when he does retire and you turn that franchise over to Anthony Davis and you've got no picks and the Lakers are in a financial bind because people forget they're, they're one of the last teams that's a family owned team. They, the, mm-hmm. the, the buses have no businesses outside of the Lakers. That's why right. the brothers wanted to cash in because they don't have no jobs. They wanted their Laker money before they got old. People don't understand it. Just and people say, well, you know, how can the Lakers be cheap? They're, because there's no other. They are not billionaires. There's not. It's not Larry Ellison over there. It's not that kind of money. It's not Mark Cuban money sitting over there. Whatever they produce from the Lakers goes back into the Lakers. And I think people don't understand that. And that 97 million that they're throwing at LeBron is to keep people to come to those games and to keep the TV ratings high because they will not win a championship in the next three seasons. It's going to be interesting, brother. That's going to be interesting for sure. Do you think he gets the same criticism, though? Because LeBron is already the most criticized NBA player. We, we, for whatever, we could play for good, for bad, and for ugly. But does he get the same kind of end of career criticism once he breaks the scoring record, which he's going to do? He's number two all time. He's going to break Kareem's record. That's going to happen. But if they don't make the play, let's say they make the playoffs, but they they never get higher than like a six, seven seed in any of these next three years. How does that look on the end ultimately? Because I think in a lot of ways, LeBron is the Wilt Chamberlain of his time. The Wilt moved a lot. Wilt was the most dominant statistical performer. He was a guy who sucked the room, the, the air out of every team that he was on. You had to live with Wilt rather than, you know what I mean? Like you had to figure out how to navigate Wilt. And teams were always kind of 
in in disarray once he left. When he when he was gone, they didn't get better. They weren't better when he was gone, and it took him time to recover. And at the same time, you're going to look at both of their careers. Book should have won more titles, and we're going to say the same thing about LeBron: is that he should have more championships. He should have done more. It's a different scale, but it's there's a lot of similarity there too. I hear you about what what was before my time, and I damn sure know, know he was before your time. Right. Uh, but 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 we watch video we and more. The only comparison that I can make, and I made it quite a bit. LeBron in, in LA at this point reminds me of a healthier Michael with the Wizards. Um, I, I've seen Michael give dirt 40. I've seen him block shots, go toe-to-toe with Kenyon Martin, go toe-to-toe with Jason Kidd, go toe-to-toe with Spreewell, go toe-to-toe with, with Kobe. Um, I, I think you know, I was I was at the arena in DC tonight. Uh, LeBron broke, tied and broke Karl Malone on the NBA's all-time scoring list, and it reminds me of a conversation that I had um, with someone. I won't I won't say who, but they said that LeBron is chasing records at this point. Mm-hmm. I so it kind of formulates to what you you said I, I think but doing it as a Laker it just has a different look um but I also feel like LeBron as still the face of the league uh, LeBron is the face of the league it's still the face of the league but at the same time I feel like that Lakers team was set up for failure last year because you had Russ, you had LeBron, you had Dwight Howard, you had Anthony Davis. Um, Frank Vogel and I have the same agent, so I'll, 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 I'll go easy on him, but to a point. I feel like Frank did not identify with Russ. And I knew when Russ got there that it was going to be a recipe for disaster. I know how Russ is. Um, LeBron and Vogel worked better together than Russ and Vogel because Russ don't give a damn. LeBron has to kind of give half a damn. Um, But I – but – it's different for somebody like LeBron because LeBron is really the coach, the GM, the star player, and whatever he says goes. I think for the Lakers last year, it was a recipe for disaster because of COVID, because of injuries, um, and because certain guys just never had a natural fit, like Trevor Reza was out. Um, and no shooting. Um, no shooting. Like you said, you have to have shooting around LeBron, and they had none. And – I think Alex Caruso moving on really messed him up too. He was their best perimeter defender. Mm-hmm. He's the best perimeter defender. It was it's that simple. He was their best perimeter defender, and they lost that. They had nobody at the point of attack. Getting into the lane against the Lakers was easy. Yeah. It was easy. Yeah. And they were a bad defensive team. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, and you're basically bringing in the same roster. I I think what helps. Darvin Ham is more of a player's coach. 
Um, Were you surprised Phil Handy didn't get that job? No. I wasn't. I think Phil... After LeBron either leaves, retires or more from his stay with the Lakers. And after that contract is up in two years, this is my opinion. Nothing Phil or anybody else has said. Um, I think Phil is going to get those looks after. Liz, I'm going to end on this on LeBron and we're going to switch um, topics. Um, when it's all said and done. Is LeBron going to be viewed as a Laker? Because it's it's like to me, it's like Alex Rodriguez with the Yankees. Alex LeBron, Rodriguez, James is, LeBron James is a Cleveland Cavalier. End of story. You, I mean, I, I think the Lakers, the Lakers will certainly retire his jersey. They will do that. So will the Miami Heat. So will the Miami Heat. But I don't think LeBron is if, and, and this is. I, you know, I watched the Lakers. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was my first favorite player. Like, I'm a little bit older than you. Kareem was my first favorite player. I've watched them all through Magic. I've seen, you know, all those guys. There is something, you know, there's certain teams that you got to earn that distinction. You know what I mean? And, and and I think that there's there's so much of a mercenary feel to LeBron's time with the Lakers. Like, you know, I came here to use you, and you're using me, you know, both sides. He He's... He's going to, he's a Laker in that sense, but he's not a Kobe Laker. He's not a Jerry West Laker. He's not a no, Magic because, Laker. Because they were, dra- well, Kareem. I mean, he's not even a Kareem Laker. Well, you know, well, well, Kareem. Well, well, Kareem is different because Lou Alcindor was drafted as a Milwaukee Buck, but had his greatest years as a Laker. Shaq was drafted by the Orlando Magic, but we know him as a Laker. LeBron, he, was drafted by the Cavs, played for them twice, left Cleveland, went to Miami. I was just hollering at them girls. I was going to get right back. He came to Cleveland. He won a championship. But And see, that's where that Wilt thing comes into me again. Because Wilt has his jersey retired in Philly. Wilt has his jersey retired in L.A. Wilt has his jersey retired in, in uh, Golden State. But you don't – there's no team. I don't think of Wilt as a team. I think of Wilt as a guy. And it's just, and I mean LeBron will be more identified with Cleveland than anywhere else, but he's also well. That's a, well. It's different because he's also from Akron. Yeah, that's 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 the other oh. distinction. Um, M- Michael won in Chicago and played for the Wizards. Later, he's still a Bull. Allen Iverson left Philly, went to Denver, played in Detroit, played in Memphis, found his way back to to Philly at the end. He's but always he's, he's a Seventy Sixer. Chris Webber played for a bunch of teams. He's going to be a Sacramento King when you think of him. Charles Barkley, but is Charles Barkley a Sixer or a Sun or a Rocket? That's a good question. I think if I th- I'm always going to think of Charles as a Sixer. Now he won his MVPs with the Suns. He won his MVP with the Suns. He had his best season with the Suns. Well, I mean, arguably you could say his season is '87 season when he lost the, the MVP to Magic. He was that was a better season. Um, he just didn't have any talent around him. But when I think of Charles, I think because of the way Charles played, I think of Philly. That's, that's just what I think of. I think of Charles as a, as a sixer. But I, I think that's my age, too, is that I saw Charles as a sixer. Um, and so yeah, I, I, I saw highlights of Charles as a sixer. By the time I really got into basketball in 91, 
I know he, he was, was traded, traded, was about he was traded in 92 to the Suns. So my recollection of Charles Barkley, like I remember he changed his number. When Magic got when Magic retired, he changed the number to 32 for a season. I learned that after the fact. I know Charles as a son. I know Charles and 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 like most young kids know Stephen A as a TV personality. I knew him as a columnist. Right. Many people know Charles Barkley as a TV personality and don't know his game. And a lot of people sell Charles Barkley short because because there will never be another because, Charles Barkley. Because because Carl Malone in that generation is more recognized as the best power forward to play. Him, Duncan, and KG. I think Charles is right behind Duncan. If you ask me, Charles goes right behind Duncan. Do you put Malone ahead of Duncan? No. So was it Malone, Duncan, Charles Barkley? No, it's Duncan, Barkley, Malone. Okay. Okay. Why do you put Barkley above Duncan? I mean, above Malone. Because I think Charles did everything. I think Charles was more efficient. You know, you look at look at his, his advanced numbers, and they're just ridiculous. That 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 part, people sleep. Go look at his advanced numbers, but also look as Charles was a better rebounder than Malone, a far better rebounder. Neither one of them was a great outside shooter. You know, but whereas uh, Carl could hit that elbow shot continuously and ran that pick and roll. But I think Charles was the better ball handler in the open court. Could create for other people. Carl didn't really do that. Carl couldn't really create. I think Barkley was more Stockton and Malone in one. Barkley had Stockton. The only viable point guard that I remember Barkley playing with was Kevin Johnson. Yep. Because every other one that he had that they thought Johnny Dawkins was hurt all the time. And right. he never really had him. And then when he got, like I said, he had Kevin Johnson. And then by the time he got to, to Houston, there was no point guard. He was, he was doing with Matt Maloney. And and a shell of my good, you know, my man Randy Livingston. Um, it wasn't there was no point guard at that point either. So Charles never had the luxury of people, and he never and Hersey Hawkins was the best perimeter player he had in Philly. People forget that Hersey Hawkins was the best perimeter player he played with in Philly. So it's like what Charles had to do on a nightly basis, Carl never had to really deal with because Carl always had solid teammates, whether it was Mark Eaton, who was the defensive player of the year multiple times, man in the center spot. Right. You had Jeff Malone, who could shoot the butt, was a 20-point-per-game scorer. Jeff and, nice. and you changed about you Byron Russell. You had Chris um, Morris, who was a solid scorer. You know, you saw him in New Jersey when Chris Morris was a guy who could give you 17, 18 points a With night. Wayne Shintasis and, and Jason Williams and Benoit Benjamin. And Yinka Dare. God rest the dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, Which I mean, beer is the head coach? Carl, Carl had pieces. Yeah. Carl always had pieces. Yeah. Charles never really got that. For, and even that Phoenix team, think about it. Kevin Johnson, only all-star on that team. Was Dan, Dan Marley wasn't an all-star? I think Dan might have, maybe. But, but I mean, do you think... By association. Do you think... In, in the hierarchy, would you you would say Hornacek had a better career than Marley, right? If we were yes. talking, yes, Hornacek was the uh, on the hierarchy of guards. Hornacek was kicking ass in Philly, and you know he kicked ass in Utah. Hornacek's a bucket yeah. he, from anywhere. He can shoot three, shoot the two, and get to the bucket. Yeah. So I mean, you take those guys, and you, look, the best team that I saw Charles had, his the center was Rick Mahorn. 
They were thumping bunk. That's what they called them, thumping bunk. It was Char- the front court rotation was Charles, Rick Mahorn, and Manu. Come on, bro. And Tim Perry. Tim Perry. Like, we, we're not talking about stars here. You know, Charles was- you, you, You're taking me back to the history books. This was a little bit before my time, but I, but I know it from conversations with uncles. And Charles had to play with Charles Shackelford, one of the biggest busts in the history of the NBA. You know, it's like it's just bad, bad, bad in Philly. I remember, I mean, like he would get, and it was like Charles would draw the Bulls or the Celtics in the first round every damn year. And he would just him and be, I remember his last series in Philly, before he got traded, they lost 4-1, 3-1, because it was still best of five at that point in the first round. They lost 3-1 to the Bulls. And you can just see every night Charles was just like, man, it's me versus the Bulls. And it was just, it was bad. And so I, to me, Charles is the second best. And, and Charles t- also, when people talk about there will never be another light, you are never going to see another 6'4 dude lead the league of rebounding. It's never going to happen. Never. Well, I, I, I feel like he also birthed a whole new generation of big boned, small four power forwards. You looked at Clarence Weatherspoon. Corliss Williamson, even to a Zion Williamson. Charles tells me he swears Zion don't play like him. Um, and then you also look at Draymond Green. Draymond Green is really he ain't six eight six nine. Draymond is about six 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 seven because I'm six five and he's only a couple inches taller than me. Draymond is is very undersized. Um, but he's efficient and it's crazy. And, and I'll also add, we talk about Charles. You look at the Anthony Masons, you look at the Antoine Walkers, you know, Draymond told me during the finals that, you know, he watched the Bulls championship run in 98 on YouTube. And he also watched the Knicks in the nineties on YouTube and guys like Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley were his speed. Anthony Mason, to me, is one of the most underrated players of his era. People forget that Mace was an all-star with the Hornets. That, you know, after he left the Knicks, he was an all-star, a legit guy, again, who could handle the rock, play point guard, uh, you know, um, in, in college, comes to the NBA. Pat Riley had him as the press breaker. Against the Bulls. He was taking it up court against Scotty. And against the that was that was Mace's job. And again, Mace wasn't a dude that could jump. Mace was barely six seven. We're talking six seven, maybe six eight, maybe. But again, that's that skill. He had a big ass. He had light feet. You know, I mean, like you could not, he knew positioning, he knew tempo, he could change tempo fast enough for a man mm-hmm. that size to beat small forwards off the dribble. And he certainly could take bigs off the dribble. And he, and he's just, I mean, Anthony Mason is a, a, again, a precursor. There's like, if you were mixing, like I see a little bit of that in what they do with Zion. When they talk about point Zion, a lot of that stuff is stuff that they did with Mace. It's just that Mace was not the athlete that Zion is, but Mace was doing those things. And Zion is also, has Sean Kemp athleticism that Anthony Mason did not have. No, Mace wasn't an athlete at all. Like in, in the sense of right. that kind of athlete. Like as far as intelligent basketball. Yeah. Strength, mm-hmm. you know, instincts, 
quick twitch. He could do all those things. He just couldn't. He had no bounce. There was no bounce to him. And he wasn't long. He wasn't, his arms weren't exceptionally long, but he was still, he was going to be there. And, that, and, and Mace was a dog. And Mace was a dog. I loved that dude. And I, I remember, you know, like I, I have, I have my disputes with the Knicks. I grew up as a Knicks fan. Um, I chose them as my team because Patrick, as soon as Patrick Ewing became a Knick, I became mm-hmm. a Knicks fan. And that those '90s Knicks are my favorite. I, you know, that that Blood in the Garden. I, I burned through that book, um, and I just feel like I feel like those guys, people. There are a lot of Knicks fans now who don't understand, who don't who don't respect how good a guy like a John Starks, a guy like Charles Oakley, guys like Anthony Mason, they how they willed themselves to that. Starks, dude, shouldn't have been in the league. Six three shooting guard shouldn't have been in the league, and he makes an All Star team and makes you know I mean average twenty points a game, one six man of the year. John Starks shouldn't have been in the NBA at all. And now they have Knicks fans who just don't understand him outside of the dunk. They don't. That's that's all they know about John Starks. And it's, mm-hmm. so I think you know that that's that's always something that's interesting to me. I want to move on to the to the Warriors because they're going to try to repeat this year. And I look at them and I say, Clay's going to be healthy from outset, which he was not last year. You expect Clay to be healthy. Um, the young guys, Zaminga, uh, I mean Kaminga, and um, um. Moody and all these these young players they have who got minutes last year are going to be there. I don't think that they, you know, I'm not necessarily, I think Vegas hasn't been like 53 wins, but the Warriors, you can't sleep on them as getting back to the finals either. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 the chemistry is there. Um, eventually they're going to have to make some decisions about Draymond and his contract. Um, Steph Curry earned my respect for real when he dropped that 43 at the Boston Garden. Um, and that was a that was a very interesting game. I hate the Boston Garden, by the way. <laughs> they have like two elevators. Um, that's another story for a different day. But um, you know, it, it, ultimately, I think the Warriors they're um they're in a good position. They don't hurt you. Um, I think they're this generation San Antonio Spurs. They're they, they're the the OG. YMCA basketball team that these young guys think they just gonna win by crossing over and they still kicking ass and taking names. People forget they were still the number two team in the league defensively last year. Mm-hmm. The number two team in the league. And people get all the talk that you do, like you know, people uh, Steph's not a great individual defender. No, he's not. But his team is second in the NBA in defense. So he's doing something right. It ain't all Draymond. I think this is the last run for that group. I think, like you said, with Draymond's contract, they can't keep him around. And those youngsters, and I think you know, obviously his body, it's 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 getting there. We see it with Draymond. He, he can't give you the same amount of games of that effort, and you can't afford to have a dude as many nights as he goes one for eight. You know, it, it, you just can't keep doing that in this league. I think this is his, they they do this run if they win a championship. I think they move him if they see that they're falling away at the end of at the end of the season. I, I, don't, I don't see them moving him in the middle of the season because he's Draymond, you know, just the respect. But I think either way, I think they're, they're going to try to find a way to get out of that deal at the end of this year. It's going to be interesting. Last one I want to hit is on with the Pelicans. Okay, so there's so much excitement here about the Pelicans. I like the Pelicans. I like the Pelicans too. But this is what gets me in trouble. You know, I get into my 
rooms with, with folks and the fans and, and engagement is at a level it has not been since the team has been here in New Orleans. But I still say even at their best this year, if they get, if everything goes right, they're at best a 45 win team mm-hmm. because the holes are still there. This is, you know, they were 20th defensively last year. You don't jump into the top 10. I don't think in one year. And when four of your five starters are at best, okay. Defenders, CJ, okay. Defender, Jonas, okay. Defender, Zion, we've never really seen him defend anybody. He's not a shot blocker. He's not a great rebounder. Zion has mm-hmm. never, I mean, Zion has never scored 40 in a game. People forget that. He hasn't even reached 40 in a game yet. And B.I. is a willing but okay defender. Herb Jones, your best defenders are all three years of, or less in experience. And Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, Jose Alvarado, and um, Najee Marshall, those are all their best defenders. They are not, I I just don't see them defensively being good enough every night. They're going to score. And I think, but I also think at the beginning of the year, there's a feeling out process because none of these guys have ever played with Zion except for BI. None of these guys have set foot on court with Zion. And I think you got to learn now all over again, your role. If you're Brandon Ingram, who has earned the right to be the number one guy after the way he played last year, but now Zion comes back in. CJ's got to figure out his his role now. He's gonna. He's not gonna be a twenty five point per game score. He's got to be closer to maybe nineteen. You know, with Zion on the court, I think that that balance in the beginning is gonna be hard for the Pelicans to strike. And I think that that costs them wins at certain points of the year as they figure that out. And I think Zion, of course, will miss some games as they just again try to make sure he's completely healthy. I think this is at best a 45-win team. I got folks down here who are really ready to put them in the Western Conference Finals, and I don't want to be the rain on their parade person, but it doesn't go – they have they got to get to a 500 record. For all the love that David Griffin is getting right now, they still haven't even gotten to 500 in three mm-hmm. years. Yeah. It's, it's, I think for the Pelicans, um, I, I feel like, um, you know, in football they talk about the – the sophomore year of a quarterback. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, did people kind of question, was it Kaepernick or or Cam Newton's sophomore year? Cam Newton. Yep. Yes. Yes. Because I remember I had them both on my fantasy football team. Uh, I know we talk about basketball, but like, I just remember, I feel like for the Pelicans, like nobody saw them coming last year. I did just because, I just I like the diversity in the front office. Um, I, I like Willie Green, and I think people were making such a big fuss about the fact that, if I'm not mistaken, his assistant coaches were picked for him. By and large, yeah. Um, but they bought in the players to Willie Green, and the the adjustment really came when they brought in C.J. McCollum. And, you know, I was in Phoenix after the All-Star break when CJ talked about that big dinner that he had with Willie and, and with, with Brandon Ingram. And, he, and, and Ingram told me about the sorbet ice cream. And, 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 and CJ was talking about how, his, how French fries are his weakness. And I just remember them talking about all that stuff um, and, and really getting to the heart of the matter. CJ McCollum coming to um, 
<laughs> I remember that game after the All-Star break against Phoenix. I said, you know, he had a quiet 30. He said, that's such a thing. Like, they they really um, – they, they that, that Pelicans team has the balance of CJ, who I think is an old soul, mm-hmm. um, a leader, a point guard. I think that that situation in Portland ran its course and is going nowhere, I, I think. I, I think, I it, think that, the year that they – after the bubble, they should have broken that group up. Yeah. When I they think, got to the Western Finals in the bubble, that was the peak. I think Lillard is in a similar situation in, in Portland that LeBron is in in L.A. And Melo was in with the Knicks. It's cutting, it's collecting checks. I met. Um, but CJ has a second NBA life in New Orleans. And the youth movement that's there, Jose Alvarado, who I, I think the world of, but defenders are going to, or or, or 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 the opposite teams are going to be used to him, um, and his disruptiveness on defense. Um, people know what Brandon Ingram brings to the table. Um, people know what CJ can do. To me, I, while I want the Pelicans to do well, exceedingly and abundantly well, my reservation is like the Jeremy Lin effect. After those first four or five games of tape, your opponents know what Jeremy Lin is going to do. Will that be the Pelicans' testimony? We'll see. The Pelicans aren't a secret anymore. Mm-mm. No, and, and I think the thing for them, they are at their best when they're running. The only way they get to run is if they play defense constantly. And that's going to be the thing. If the Pelicans are not one of the 10 best defensive teams this year, then they will not be, they will not reach their potential. And that is that that falls firmly in Zion Williamson's lap. That that he has to be a competent defender, which he was not in his first two seasons. He he was it he gave up nearly as many points as he as he scored. And that that can't happen anymore. Zion has to be more of a physical force defensively. He has to command the glass a bit more. He can, to, to be a guy who, who's constantly getting seven, eight boards, it just doesn't make sense when you're inside as much as he is. He has to be able to get more rebound. I'm not asking him to win a rebounding title. He doesn't need to pull out 14, 15 boards, but he's got to be a guy who can get you 10, 11 boards on a night. It's, it, because all of his boards right now come on the offensive glass. Defensive-wise, he's not getting boards on a defensive glass. And you got to control – that's how you get out and run. He should be the one getting those defensive boards and starting to break in transition, allowing C.J. to go to the wing, allowing Brandon to run to the other side, and, 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 and making the defense choose. It has to be Zion taking that ball off the backboard. It has to be. If it's not him doing it, if it's Jonas constantly getting it, if it's Herb Jones, who I love Herb Jones, who I think Herb Jones has the potential to be a Scottie Pippen-like player. I truly believe that with Herb Jones. That it, 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 it has to be Zion at some point. And he can't enjoy being a basketball player anymore. He has to want to be a professional. And I think Zion has wanted to enjoy his career a bit too much. It's now time to grow up and be a pro. 
and be a little bit of an asshole, to be a man. You got to be a man now. You can't, this is not about Duke. It's not about people, you know, liking everything. It's not about people loving you. It's willing to be hated because the best players in the league are going to be hated by somebody. And Zion has to get into that space where people don't like him because he's doing, he's bullying the shit out of somebody's players. Facts. Facts. I'm with you. Let's put up a shut up. If he doesn't make enemies this year, I'm waiting. You know, have you, I've not seen that moment in the three seasons that Zion has been here. And obviously last year he didn't play any games, but have you seen, is there a dunk? Is there a play that you recall with Zion where you were like, that's Duke Zion right there. I still haven't seen that moment. I haven't seen him put somebody into the stanchion. You know what I'm saying? Like, that use that physicality in a way. Yeah, you bullied a couple guys and gotten some putbacks, but it's it's time now. You have to be a Giannis type physical presence in that area because Bi can't do that. Bi can't be that guy. Bi's gonna give you. He's gonna give you that. Bi's the wide receiver of that team. He's supposed to get you the tw- the 30, 20 to fifty points again. He'll give you that smooth thirty because Bi has figured out his spots. You know, yeah. And I don't compare B.I. to K.D. People keep calling him baby K.D. He's not baby K.D. B.I. is much different because B.I. is more of a guy who will take three, four dribbles. K.D. is a two-dribble pull-up, bang. Yeah. You know, so K.D. has no wasted motion. B.I. has to create more. That's his responsibility with the Pelicans. That's not K.D.'s responsibility. Stop comparing those two. And Brandon Ingram is a better passer than Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. And that's his responsibility. KD's never been asked. That's not his job. KD can do a lot of things well. He's a great defender at his peak. Uh, He showed he could play a small ball five at times. And we know he's probably, he'll go down as one of the three or four just great pure scorers the league has ever seen. But he was never asked to be a passer. B.I. has to be a facilitator. And B.I.'s best facilitating comes when he's with the ball in motion, not in standstill. So that means CJ and B.I., the reason they work so well is because CJ is a master in pick and roll. <laughs> CJ is a master in pick and roll. And when he and B.I. run that, it gives them options. Now you've got to put Zion in those positions where Zion is going to have to be the screener sometimes and not get the ball. <laughs> Can Zion do those things? And that's going to be a big question. And I think that it, it becomes a lot easier if first Zion comes in and says, I'm going to commit defensively to make this thing work. If he comes in and says, I'm going to be the best defender I can be, eat this glass, create easy opportunities, I think it makes that transition a lot easier. If he comes in and wants to be point Zion from day one, I think it's going to be a bit of more of a struggle for the Pelicans. Where I'm with you. Brother, we could go on. We could do this for, for quite some time. We could keep going. But I think it's a good time to stop. And we'll, we'll definitely – do this again this season um, and talk about some hoops and, and probably some other stuff as well. Cause I always appreciate having conversations with you. Um, tell mm-hmm. the folks if they don't know, which they should, but tell them how they can keep up with you and what you're doing. Um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at scoop B um, YouTube scoop B TV. Uh, check out all my work at the mothership Valley sports. Um, I do a weekly, uh, conversation through spotify through their spotify live app uh appropriately uh called scoop b's sources um i have a partnership with bovada uh, with um instagram live and other things the sports betting uh, company and be looking out for some things in the works with uh, bovada as well in the coming weeks 
Um, and you know, I don't know when this podcast drops, but uh, assuming it drops the next couple of days, Monday, I have a one-on-one with Manny Ramirez. Uh, so while well, basketball is, is my bag, um, I, I have my hands in some other things too, baseball, um, wrestling, football, and more. And, you know, I'm really excited for, you know, the fall to start and, uh, you know, continuing to go on my bag and, and offer some things, whether it be through basketball, fashion, uh, and other sports as well. But basketball will always be my passion. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful and, and I'm appreciative uh, for your friendship and for giving me the opportunity to be myself. Hey, brother, anytime. I'm still going to get that Marbury number. <laughs> One day I'm going to get that Marbury. That's on my bucket list. I got to talk to Stefan. Uh, that, 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 that dude means a lot to me. And, and, and that's that's the only one thing that I, I want to get out to you one day is, is, is to be able to contact Steph. But you know, you know, if you ever need me talk some pals, talk some NBA, you know how to get at me. And let's work on that with Steph. I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll call him and see where his where he's at with that, and we'll, we'll make something work. All right, brother, I appreciate it. And until the next time, this has been. Martin.